0: Hey everyone, today is January 1st at the time of recording, so happy new year to everyone. Hopefully we can get rid of any last minute additions to 2022 and call it a year for gaming. Let's sit back and reflect on PC gaming this year, and maybe at the end open up our wallets for some last minute library additions. I just want to start by saying, 2022 was definitely the worst year for hardware I think I've ever seen. It was the year that went from nobody being able to obtain a decent CPU or GPU, not just because there was a silicon shortage, but also because everything was being pulled away from the average consumer. Everything was being redirected towards crypto, and then suddenly, by the end of 2022, nobody wanted whatever gold-encrusted turd Nvidia or AMD was planning to lay out. It's so weird to feel like the last few years of pointless energy consumption to create nothing to trick people into paying for their hard work of doing nothing, and now we're just kind of sitting in the aftermath of stupid NFTs and crypto garbage. All this left people hanging on to their old 2060s. I even think people were excited to hold on to 1660 Ti's. Or I mean worst case scenario, people who have been gaming on integrated graphics. On their PCs, on their home laptops, just heating their homes and delivering hopefully 60 FPS at a time. But something good finally came out of all of this. 2022 felt like the biggest year for digital upscaling techs. We're talking the improvements to DLSS, FSR, and DSR, which I think is called a DLDSR. I imagine being able to slap deep learning in front of anything just makes it sound so much better. If we look back, DLSS 1.0 really kind of felt like just like a blurry mess at launch. And comparing apples to apples now, I don't know how we even tolerate it now that we see DLSS 2.5 and FSR 2.1. 2022 was about establishing the playable era for me. Having announced DLSS 3.0 so late in the year, It kind of seems like a tech that I think most people will be happy to adopt once we get to the point where people are maintaining 4K resolution at over 100 FPS. I know it sounds like a pipe dream and you might be saying, look, I'm struggling to get 60 FPS. I don't even care about ray tracing. Why should I make this an aspect of my life? And that's probably true because right now I can't make use of it and I have to debate whether or not my case can hold a GPU the size of an Xbox One. So why don't we say this year was about learning to make do with the hardware that we have. And for me, by make do, I meant experience the new era of handheld integrated graphics. My Steam Deck is the best piece of hardware to come out of 2022. Sure, people are going to be super happy with their 4090s finally able to do 4K gaming properly. But the Steam Deck is a different kind of marvel. It's kind of weird calling it the best handheld when it already does a lot of similar things to other unnamed handheld consoles. It delivers great indie performance. Uh, Quite honestly, it delivers subpar FPS in this current gen's AAA gaming. It's slightly more expensive, but in terms of a handheld computer, it's very affordable. And no one can say for the past seven months that people were just making Gaben a figurehead and casting a long shadow over a lot of hard-working designers and engineers. It's hard to think that this is already seven months. So why don't we just make this my 7 month review? At this point, I still use it almost every single day of the week. I love having it as my break away from my desk. I love how accessible and portable is for gaming anytime, anywhere. I did scale back a lot of my expectations for the deck can play anything. Because at higher TDPs, the deck does perform well, but it definitely struggles and I know a lot of people are chasing those 6800U handhelds for this exact reason. The reason why the deck is such a success is because it plays so well between 5 watts and 12 watts. So about 50% of the time I play my games just completely plugged in and when I'm plugged in I know I'm running my games at full TDP. And when I say full TDP I usually mean I'm booting up a game making sure it runs well at about 15 watts and then dropping it down to 12 watts. You'll find it quite surprising that just dropping those 3 watts will cost you maybe about 3 FPS on average, and maybe makes the deck a little more susceptible to bigger frame drops. But to me, it saves not only battery life, but also about 10-15 to degrees depending on the game that you're playing. People will say that the APU is designed to run hot, and I think that's a message we're going to hear for all of CPUs coming out, and it's going to sit on repeat until the record skips. because. 90 degrees Celsius, for all my non-Americans listening to this, 90 degrees Celsius isn't a problem for the CPU, but it is a bigger problem. Maybe it's just personal preference, but it's a bigger problem when you start thinking about heat dissipation through the case and fan speed, because regardless of whether you have the Huaying or the Delta fan, it's quite audible. And overall, it lessens my comfort in playing with my Steam Deck. I would almost wager that any game that runs at 15 watts will still run perfectly fine at 12 watts. But the other 50% of the time, I usually just play indie gaming. This is your typical lower TDP. This is where you're expecting to get anywhere from three and a half to six hours in a game. Or, my personal favorite, game streaming. Specifically, I'm going to say Moonshell is the highlight of streaming on the Steam Deck. And it's all thanks to NVIDIA's GameStream service on NVIDIA GPUs. Having tinkered around with Steam Remote Play, the technologies are both there on both sides, but it's just not ironed out. You can get fairly close to that kind of silky frame rate experience that NVIDIA GameStream provides with its frame buffering, but it never feels the same as native game streaming. Uh, I think the uh, feature that I'm trying to reference is called NVFBC, which stands for NVIDIA Frame Buffering... Crack. NVIDIA Frame Buffer Capture. NVIDIA Frame Buffer Capture allows you to do all of this using just hardware. So as long as you're not stressing the GPU too much, there should be more than enough overhead for you to use NVFBC. Man, that's an acronym that is just not rolling off the tongue. But when you enable that in Steam and you turn off all of the software support for GPUs, you do get a close but inconsistent frame time. So while it's not the worst experience in the world, I definitely don't think it is an equal product to native GameStream. The fact that NVIDIA is killing GameStream on the app side has led to a lot of suspicions that they're going to kill the host side on NVIDIA GPUs. And personally, I hope that they aren't going to kill the game stream host, and maybe just integrate it somehow with Steam Play, or GeForce Now, or keep it alive. Because I've tried other solutions. I've tried using Sunshine, and it is a viable solution. And I don't mean to demean the work that goes in behind the scenes. I can't remember if there's more developers on the project than just Lizardbyte because Sunshine will provide game streaming services to a lot of other devices, not just the Steam Deck. It'll run on Windows, it'll run on your phone, it'll run on a ton of things. As with most projects, sometimes there's just some bugs you have to work out. And honestly, when I tried to get Sunshine to work, I also forgot that Sunshine will disable the backend for NVIDIA Game Stream, so when Sunshine wasn't running, I wasn't able to use it at all on my home PC. That could just be user error, but again, it doesn't deliver that native experience that I'm just so used to. And that's why I'm going to say right now, there just isn't an equal to game stream at the moment. And that is a true kick in the teeth move by NVIDIA, who already hasn't really earned any points this year by releasing $2,000 GPUs. I'm sure I'm going to go through this later, I'm just going to shake my head every time I hear some background noise that eventually makes it in. But for those that you don't know, I took a quick break from YouTube and making podcasts because I had a kid. Having a kid is like the most wonderful experience in the world until you remember that babies don't like to sleep like regular people. It makes it just a little bit harder to sit down and do any sort of recording without hearing nursery rhymes in the background. Every single toy is somehow a weapon that needs to be slammed against a surface or a body part. But let's move on from talking about NVIDIA because I want to talk about the deck's kind of cheers and jeers that I've endured over the last seven months. People used to scoff at the Switch running a game subpar, and by subpar I mean barely obtaining 30 FPS at a lower-than-native resolution. But somehow we've kind of held the Steam Deck on a pedestal for adopting FSR, maybe just when the technology was more acceptable, At launch, I could tell you that I booted up Cyberpunk on my Steam Deck, and aside from the fact that my Steam Deck was probably better at making Toast than it was at playing Cyberpunk, I don't think I was getting 30 FPS consistently. Those dips were crazy. And so we kind of just had to sit through all of the early FSR, like FSR 1.0, to make our games work. Things have improved as game developers are actually tailoring their experience to, I'm going to say, us needy folk, but more for the people who aren't probably looking at getting a $2,000 GPU anytime soon. I would say, at this point, most games will experience some dips, but a lot of games, a lot of AAA games, seem to be a little more optimized to give you a stable 40 FPS at that golden 40 hertz. I mentioned it before, but the Steam Deck still is in the right spot as a handheld, despite newer 6800U devices coming out. There's only one device that I think I will mention, and it's only because it's probably only coming out in 2023, so it doesn't deserve to be in a 2022 review. But when I saw the GPD Win 4, I wanted it so bad. It seemed like it was like the perfect form factor, and I know I'm going to get a lot of heat for saying this, but for price too, because the Steam Deck is ergonomically great but it is definitely on the lower end of travel-friendly. Especially on flights, I did find it was nearing the kind of limit of tolerable size, both for playing and both for just, like, lugging around. I found even on, like, two-seater flights that I was tucking in my elbow so much that it was just really uncomfortable to play. And I say this because I've probably spent about the base model GPD Win 4 worth of money on my Steam Deck, Plus accessories, you know, we're talking chargers, power banks, other things, and it could probably be even higher if I consider some of the accessories i just kind of taken from other things. And really, the only thing that keeps the regret back when I look at the GPD-1.4 is the fact that SteamOS is kind of the monkey's paw of everything I want in a low-power handheld. So let's full stop, drop the lights. Here is my message from the heart about SteamOS. SteamOS is is quite a janky mess. I feel like I hit this analogy on the head when I called it the proverbial monkey paw that tricks you into wishing for everything you desire and then leaves you with an inconsistent experience or maybe sometimes the opposite effect just like a couple days later. And it is the true oversell of the Steam Deck. When you see people who show you additions or fixes into SteamOS, that will show you something working great while it's stable in that current update but it leaves the door open for so many things to break on forced updates people were adamant that you needed to install power tools for example that way you could turn off smt you could limit the number of cores you wanted to use while emulating everything was supposed to be perfect but then a standard SteamOS os update will come through and let me remind you sometimes these updates are not are not manual, sometimes they automatically happen when you restart the deck. And when any sort of feature change goes through, you run the risk of breaking whatever isn't native to SteamOS. The one thing that I wish Reddit would stop doing is using the word fixes. Because SteamOS is a Linux-based operating system. It focuses on a great foundation of an operating system with tons of community support, open source programming, and workarounds. Not fixes, workarounds. And you might call me out for splitting hairs on what's the difference between a fix and a workaround. Well, a workaround is kind of like a band-aid solution to fix whatever is going on because you are not fixing the base flaw. You are running something in parallel, in tandem with whatever the OS is trying to do. Let me give you an example. On the most basic level, you work around A flaw in SteamOS that causes your system to lock up into a boot loop if you run out of hard drive space. A fix would be something on the SteamOS base level that stops you from using up all of your whatever root hard drive space so that you can perform an update, so you can start the OS. Another one might be you learn to work around stable updates, making your deck an expensive paperweight. I basically just have one USB stick that I have permanently dedicated as a SteamOS recovery drive. And that makes it hard to boast that SteamOS is a well-rounded operating system. Sometimes you might even not know about a problem. You should be aware that when you put your deck to sleep, sometimes it doesn't actually shut off. I've had the fan running on my Steam Deck and just draining my battery life. I mean, another example of a workaround is anything that you do in desktop mode to make something work in game mode. And we're talking about many quality of life features. A lot of these features seem to be pushed on the open source side. To the community, SteamOS has some interest in it, but realistically, if it's compatible, it doesn't need to be in the scope of SteamOS. And that is both a bane and a boon. So I hope you get the idea. There's workarounds to workarounds. Because running Windows just isn't a well-polished experience. I don't think the drivers are ever going to be there, and realistically, there's no incentive to do so. The one thing that I will say, if a lot of people are running into reoccurring issues on their decks, I found a lot of my issues were literally just remembering that putting computers into Hibernate causes a lot of issues. And so the first thing that I would suggest for people who are regular chain sleepers is to just make sure that you restart your deck on a regular basis. It sounds like a 40 IQ move to remember to restart your computer, but really it is step one of one in fixing half of the problems. And this is what we deal with with early tech, because nothing will replace SteamOS right now. I'm sure whatever it is, iOS, whatever gpd is dual booting into linux for none of it is equivalent especially seeing some of the videos that are coming out i think SteamOS has a lot going for it over other single board computer os's and i really hope valve just sticks with this and doesn't just spit the gum out when the flavor is gone well okay so that was a lot of talk about the steam deck let's go into games because this episode is about celebrating the games of 2022 So, I will pick a handful of games per genre, uh, pepper in a couple Steam Deck recommendations to boot, and then we'll close it off with my personal recommendation of Dumpster Fires to Avoid from last year. There are some games that I missed, there are definitely games that I didn't play, and there are also a lot of games that fell into Wait for a Sale that were pretty good Humble Bundle Fodder. That was the fourth take, and I'm not doing it again. There uh, There are other titles that I won't consider. Uh, remasters, like The Witcher 3 next-gen update. I mean, sure, they did an upgrade on the graphics, but I mean, is that really a new game? Add on to the fact that it's kind of weird they did an overhaul on the graphics by kind of integrating other people's mods, but at the same time, I don't know what it did. They had some like super color-saturated cartoony look added to the, the first area that you go into. I say the first area because I think I've been stuck in the first section of the game just because I'm the type of person who sees an objective and then sees a cave marker or a castle like 90 degrees the other way and I just have to do it. I just have to explore it. I think I have like level 16 weapons and my character is only level 9. I have 20 hours of gameplay into that game and I think this is the fourth time I've reinstalled it. So let's just say sometimes improved graphics Doesn't work for everyone. I'm also going to say ports are going to get passed up on this list, despite, oh, I don't know, Persona 5 Royal probably could be my game of the year again. That game of the year button has been stuck down for the past seven years, and somehow I always find myself coming back to play, even if I just want to go through it on easy. But here's the game's list. I hope I got you covered. Let's start with first person shooters. First one on the list is probably Tiny Tina's Wonderland. It was a joy to play. Uh, it is a shame that it doesn't work on the deck. The only thing I would say is probably just get the base game and skip all that paid downloadable content, aka four portals put in one town. You can definitely tell that the effort is slipping at Gearbox. Speaking of effort slipping, another game on this list that you'll see show up in another section is Warhammer 40k Darktide. It is a game that I can recommend, but only if you don't care about stories, or proper progression, or crafting, or satisfying lore, or a cosmetic shop that doesn't look like you're buying rastered MS art paintings. Darktide is unique enough. The gameplay is actually really good, and it jazzes with my kind of newfound love for the 40k lore that I kind of overlook its premature release problems. It definitely just kind of premature released onto all of his disappointed fans paying up front. I still recommend it, and I won't refund it because I got it as a gift. Thanks, Brandon. Let's talk about top-down games. If you're a fan of twin-stick shooters, Weird West is definitely a game I would keep on your radar. It held my interest as long as many other games... A lot of other indie titles this year, the the interface and systems are a little bit janky, the camera work kind of sucks sometimes, but as someone who has always loved games like uh, Dead Nation and countless others, it's hard for me not to recommend Weird West. Getting away from twin stick shooters and maybe just making it a little more casual, played Up makes the list for being an overcooked clone, but integrating aspects of the game that allow you to think outside the box and replace people with technology. Oof. I think that was a timeline most people weren't hoping we would go down, but in Overcooked, you would very much struggle in single player. In Played Up, though, single player is a little bit rough until you learn how to properly set up machines and how to reroll blueprints properly. This game was published by whatever the Yogg's Cast Gaming Shindake, but it's really fun. I really enjoyed this one, and I hope people don't sleep on it. This is probably one of my better deck recommendations. Let's talk about JRPGs. I'm only going to touch on a few, because not many people fall in love with JRPG categories. And I'm going to split them up into two very specific sections. One is kind of like older school JRPGs. So the first game is Iden Chronicle. I hope I pronounced that right. It was short, but it was fun. And it also sounds like it was the prelude to Iden Chronicles 100 Heroes that's supposed to come out next year, so hopefully they deliver on and improve on the original game. Chained Echoes is probably another game that I would recommend. It wasn't perfect, but it was kind of a refreshing take on like classic SNES RPGs. The battle system was a little bit quirky and you do have to get used to it, but it kind of makes you prioritize specific actions instead of just force healing yourself and face rolling through everything because doing things at the wrong time will force your team to take extra damage. The last JRPG on this list makes it on this list because it's just probably one of the best games I've played in a while, and since I'm never going to make Souls-like its own category, congratulations JRPG winner Elden Ring. Good game. Everyone else, you had your chance. Nice try. Elden Ring is my Steam Deck and PC game winner for all of 2022. And I am amazed how well Elden Ring runs on the Steam Deck. Roguelites is a a short list. There's only one game. And the game, originally, I was avoiding, like, The Plague. Because it looked like half a step above the first game. Uh, I'm talking about Rogue Legacy 2. With a recent update, they kind of did a rebalancing and released a bunch of spells. And a lot of the reviews shifted to overwhelmingly... I think it's overwhelmingly positive... Anyways, it was positive enough that I took the bait and I played through and I completed my first playthrough without switching to a different game. It is definitely a game I'll go back to and since it runs so well on the Steam Deck, chances are it's going to stay installed on my Steam Deck for a very long time. Uh, Adventure games. So I think I have three games on this list. Two are kind of just like I think anyone would recommend. The first one is Tunic. It is basically a fox being Link, and the game is kind of Zelda, sans Zelda of everything. The artwork style is nice, and it was a pretty good experience, although I would say just kind of maybe above average in a negative way. My top recommendation, and also a game that's leaving Xbox Game Pass on the 15th of January, is Nobody Saves the World. What I thought was going to be a quick install to our play and uninstall, because... I was just playing game roulette on Game Pass. Ended up being one of my favorites of 2022. The action, the dungeons, the kind of like droll zombie humor. He's not even a zombie. But anyways, Nobody Saves the World definitely comes on top of my list. Uh, And a game that didn't actually make my list was uh, Cult of the Lamb. I feel like you can't neglect uh, the dungeoning and progress side. Despite the fact that, okay, you probably have some uh, quirky social interaction with your cult that you're creating. Like, okay, that's fine. But it's also for probably for the people who want to just talk to their residents in Animal Crossing. I think there's two different ways to play that game, and the way that I play it, I didn't like it. Although there is some hope, so I do have it on my wish list. Cult of the Lamb announced a uh, substantial content patch drop coming soon. So keep that on your radar. The third game that I don't think I saw recommended enough is Norco. It's the, uh, it's the other kind of adventure game. The game that we don't normally talk about because I for one think that point and click should be an adventure game. But well, whatever. The story is quite grimy and you definitely want to be in a mood for some sort of ASCII art rhythm memory games. But I think the environments, just kind of like the attention to detail that they put into this game, was really good. I had to put it down because I was playing other games, and you kind of have to be in a mood to play this kind of game. But it's definitely a game I'm picking up as soon as possible. Oh, I have this in another section written casuals, but I guess if we're talking about point and click being an adventure game, we can talk about the surprise fourth game of my three-game list being Return to Monkey Island. In reality, it probably should be on this list, at least not for its zings of not offending sunflowers, but also with its own zings of not putting up a challenge in its puzzles because people are afraid that nobody wants to use their brain on computer anymore because they don't think that combination works. Return to Monkey Island was definitely a deviation in the art style, but it still still held that nostalgia factor. Like, it's a 12 out of 10. I know it was nominated at the uh, Game of the Year Awards, and while I don't think it held a candle to the other games, I just think that Monkey Island games are just kind of like a generational treasure that we are bound to lose sooner or later. Same thing kind of goes with, like, the Broken Sword series. I think it's just, like, I am definitely a dying breed. It is definitely a dying breed of games. Speaking of 12 out of 10 on nostalgia... The next category is beat-em-ups, so let's just get this out of the way. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge makes this list because they took the concept of Ninja Turtles and they made it a good game. A for art, A for effort, thank you tribute games. The rest of the section I think I just kind of called Indie Land. Um, I think I was just too tired to think of a genre. And kind of indie games will always round out any kind of good list of games even though they might not fit into a pure genre. I think that's kind of like the point of them. Sometimes you could be so focused into a niche that you never knew you wanted to be part of a niche, but it's the concept, the ingenuity, the creativity that really goes well with good writing and a focus on core gameplay. So let's get this out of the way. First game on this list is Vampire Survivors. Yeah, great. Okay. Echo Chamber off. This game should be in everyone's library, but it should never be number one on anyone's game of the year. It's simple but evolving gameplay that you can play as addictively as you need to, uh, and it basically runs on your Samsung washing machine. So, like, just buy it. I always hum and haw because I have to think, is 1.0 technically the point that you have release? And I think that's something that we're just gonna have to give up on. More so, the fact that just how, just like how you have souls, like I know this game has already spawned a whole bunch of survivor-like games. If you look on your phone, you can already play Survivor I O, and it's just 100% like a blatant copy, but with monetization. Yay! So I guess before we kill the innovator, maybe if you haven't already buy Vampire Survivors, and if you have already just buy the DLC. An indie game that I didn't think would make this list, but I ended up playing a lot when I started thinking about it, is Dome Domekeeper. Uh, it didn't, like I said, didn't outshine a lot of other indie games, but I enjoyed it enough that I would recommend it. It has a great formula. I love the fact that you have to trade off upgrades. You can't just go all out mining and neglect your defenses. And if you go hard into defense, then you're doing a lot of rounds to make sure that you're getting your mine in order. It is a light enough game that you could probably do five and a half, six hours on a single battery charge of the Steam Deck or a big intercontinental flight. I like that. It is one of my favorite Steam Deck games to play. It hasn't been uninstalled and I keep checking back because they keep updating the game. Another game on this list is Signalis. This is weird. It's like I fell in love with Signalis when I saw the intro trailer. It was pixel art meets uh, classic Resident Evil. You know, tank controls. Big surprise that anyone would like this game. The thing is, Playism delivered such a phenomenal experience with this game that I just simply love it. A game that a game that's gonna get my recommendation but also comes with my pre-warning that it's not for everyone, is probably pentiment. Pentiment is going to get a shout out because it's so weird. It's like playing the Telltale games where your choices matter and Bill is going to remember that, and then they turned it into a text adventure game with 16th century art. I had to put this game down after about 6 hours, as it was getting super text heavy, and that really wasn't what I wanted to do over my Christmas break. Realistically, it's probably just my brain, that's the problem. Maybe I can hire the Disco Elysium narrator to carry me through the game later on. So let's talk about Honorable Mentions. These are the games that, now that I've had to stop and make a list, the games that I kind of regret not picking up, or I feel like if I hold off long enough, they will become Humble Bundle, Fodder, or who knows, maybe end up on Xbox Game Pass. The top of this list is Stray. And I know what you're saying, how could a game that has like the best art direction and has wowed people across the world into playing as a cat, how could you not like this cat game? And all I can say is I didn't get into it. I played it. I refunded it. Maybe there's an aspect of liking cats to it. It just didn't feel... The entire experience just kind of felt subpar to me. And that's kind of sad. Another game on this list is Ollie Ollie World. As someone who is a fan of the old Ollie Ollie games, this is likely going to be a, a Humble Bundle game, or Xbox Game Pass game. And if not, I'm gonna hold off until maybe like the next summer sale to pick it up. The game looks great, and I don't think there's a rush on this one. Drome is another game that I'm keeping on my radar. I've seen enough previews to understand the game, it looks fun, it looks innovative, but I get the feeling that it's just not incredibly deep. And that's why I'm holding off on this one. The last game on my honorable mentions is probably going to be Immortality. This is on my list because I wish this genre would grow and replace crappy Netflix miniseries. Like, I'm sure there is some sort of trade-off between companies going bankrupt, movies or series only existing by the fact that they need someone to pay them to do a full movie to do a full series, only to have it marginalized by streaming sales. So for those of you who don't know Immortality, uh, it is by the same creators as Her Story, and what you do is you scrub through video clips to discover the narrative. From what I've read, they've kind of doubled down on the narrative and kind of like the voyeur of digging through all these clips, and reviews make it sound like it's a lot more edgier than before. So this one is definitely going to be on my to-do list. So I guess we couldn't really call it a game list without having something to round out game recommendations for the year. So let's talk about Dumpster Fires. That's right. These are the games that I'm telling you to avoid, mostly because it is a personal preference. There are some of these games that I either played and refunded because I thought, yikes, this is AAA garbage, but... Tell me what you think of the titles on this list. first one is Gotham Knights. I got to play this for a bit and I was on the verge of buying it on a Steam sale. And then of course I ended up watching uh, Skill Up on YouTube, talking about how the game never improves and it's super stale and you have to repeat leveling up for each character. And I thought, yikes, this was my best and easiest miss of 2022. Here's one that I think might be unpopular. Because there's a lot of, like, review sites that were raving about this. Uh, Marvel's Midnight Suns. Uh, I refunded this within the two-hour time that I could. And it's mostly because Axis or Firaxis or whatever doesn't know how to make a game outside of the combat. And it's depressing. Like, like Firaxis went straight to chat GPT and AI'd a story on this one because there is no way someone was paid to make up this garbage there are only so many people who can make a superhero game scratch that there are only so many people in this world who can make being a superhero and a superhero hideout the most awkward experience anyone could go through and like to top it all off like the card system was cool but it's the combat that didn't hold it together for me in the end the the skill card system isn't purely to blame Like, there is a lot of balance and thought to it, and does give it kind of like an RNG aspect to it. I did like the extra effort in, like, the cool cutscenes. It was just the fact that I didn't see such repetitive combat adding much to my enjoyment of the game. It was also super slow. Like, I don't know how anybody enjoyed this game. Like, it was just... it was such a disappointment. Also, I think for 2023, I'm going to come up with a rule that if the costume shop has more polish than the actual game... It's going to get a hard pass. And since we're talking about games that release costume shops in a better condition than the actual story, my, my dual recommendation slash avoid this dumpster fire is probably going to be Warhammer Darktide. And I say this coming from the fact that I loved Vermintide 2, which is why I can say it doesn't take much to keep me interested in Darktide. But seriously, how can you take a game that somehow took amazing, like, Warhammer 40k level designers, class creators, get some writers to write some playful banter to contribute to like 90% of the enjoyment of the game, and then just like randomly slap things throughout the level with no like no rhyme or reason. It goes beyond like hiding tomes in like burned down villages to the fact that you just have to check every corridor sometimes. And if it weren't for the fact that those little markers popped up, you would imagine that there's just some script doing it, but a lot of it is just, like, pre-placed, whatever, randomly pre-placed flags. It feels like the game is just so lazily taped together. Like, like that story is just shoveled to you in painful cutscenes at the end of every time you level, and it's so pants-on-head stupid. Even if you were able to ignore all of that, maybe you're not in for story time. Like, the game is a super buggy mess. There are GPU crashes across the board. It doesn't matter whether you have a low-end device or a high-end device. It doesn't matter whether you keep your FPS low or high or settings low or high. It's just going to crash. Because I think if it doesn't improve, this is going to be the last time it shows up on anybody's radar. The last two games on my Dumpster Fires to Avoid this year were made by the same company. And I just want to say, maybe losing touch with your consumer base is how you make money? Because I don't see any other reason for doing this. We're going to start out with the obvious one. The first dumpster fire to avoid is Overwatch 2 because apparently for Blizzard, making a game is too much effort. So it's easier to just take an existing game that people enjoy and just re-monetize it and screw everyone over who had things before. They didn't even just... They tried to rebalance the heroes, and they just ended up screwing up as much as they fixed. Like, it's just... Overwatch 2 is never going to be installed on my PC ever again. Another game made by Blizzard that is never going to be installed on my PC again is Diablo Immortal. The game goes hard at phone game revenue generation avenues. And it's such a pity, because if your goal was to have Diablo 3 in your pocket, Blizzard and... uh, NetEase nailed, like, nailed it pretty well. It's definitely a battery trainer, and it uses a lot of data, for those of you who are not on Wi-Fi, but it is a phenomenal game, right up until the point until you get to the end game, because it is pure awful, and I will never touch it again. You can't just look at Diablo Immortal and say, hey, loot box bad, and then, like, talk about all those people who threw tens of thousands of dollars at it, and couldn't get a 5 star gem. Ignore all of that. There is no system in place. To fix problems like. Being unable to find a raid boss group. If you have not kept up with the server. The The battle pass. Is just awful. And I constantly see updates. Telling me hey. You should come back. Because we're in season 8. Of this game being released. And I'm like my god. It's been eight months of this and so as a sane person you think like, oh, well if so many months have passed maybe they've changed something to make it better. And I logged back in and the battle pass is almost exactly the same it was when the game launched, including the gems that are included. Like it just, it gets me worked up thinking about it. Add on to the fact that I went back for the Halloween event uh, and it was terrible. I found out that they introduce a new type of portal, while at the same time doing absolutely nothing to fix their tiring dailies. It is just icing on the fact that it kind of just over exemplifies why people should stop playing phone games, because it has awful PvP combat. Because in Diablo Immortal, PvP stands for paid versus poverty, and it's specifically designed that way that the people who spend the most and play the most time are going to stay on top all of the time. And so that overall experience wears out thin so quickly. I feel, it, I feel it's just a wasted opportunity and kind of just leaves my expectations for Diablo 4. Now, I'm going to spoil it for you a little bit. I have seen leaked videos, quite a few leaked videos because I've been kind of following it intently, of Diablo 4, and I've also had the opportunity to play Diablo 4. And all I can say is, it is one of the least innovative games that I think would ever be called a Diablo game. Like it, like all those things you see about Diablo 4 copying Lost Ark, there's definitely, like, there was definitely not only a lack of innovation, but what I would call the adventure mode of Diablo 3 that you get to play, that people got to play in the closed beta, made it just feel like they're... Must be so much story content cut out of this game. We're talking like cut out story dungeons, I'm hoping. Uh, The raids are just kind of like generic. Each class is quite cool. And I like the fact that they're introducing PvP as kind of like a commitment to balancing around PvP. I just don't see myself spending $90 to play it. Unless it's just like over the top. And you're talking about someone who... Spent his entire, like, adolescent life playing Diablo and Diablo 2, like, non-stop. Like, it was my go-to game. I would go back and just play mods on Diablo 2 rather than playing new games. I'm gonna stop because this is just gonna become a rant of how much I dislike the direction that Blizzard is going. I really hope Microsoft does something. They don't have to abandon their monetization. I just think they need to clean house. Like, I don't know what else to say besides the fact that they should clean house. Can you clean house? Should we be so pessimistic about games to come in 2023? Speaking of games coming out in 2023, there are a lot of games. And I'm kind of happy a lot of games kind of pushed away from February of 2023 because there is a lot of competition. I'm super excited to see more into Final Fantasy 16 only because I seem to buy every single Final Fantasy game, because I don't even know why. They're not the best games, but they still keep me coming back. I'm sure on everyone's radar for 2023 is Persona 3 Portable and Persona 4 Golden, coming out on Xbox Game Pass and on Steam. Third time rebinds the charm, I think. But that's it. Thanks for tuning in. Sorry for the gap in recorded episodes. And let's get back on to releasing a monthly podcast. My name is Dan. This was Game in Hand for 2022. Thanks for listening in.